0: You're listening to episode number 13 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Welcome back. If you're just now listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome, and head back and check out episode 12, where I introduce the three-part mini series we are currently in, which is all about strategies to use to combat senioritis or spring fever this time of year with your students. And let's be real, yourself also. Last week I shared two strategies and this week I have two additional ways for you to keep your students engaged until the very end of the year. Are you ready to hear more? Let's get started. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Okay, last week in episode 12, I shared my first two strategies for combating senioritis in your students. Whether you're teaching ninth graders who are distracted this spring while they get their permit and are experiencing freedom for the first time, or you're teaching 12th graders who are getting their first jobs and college acceptance letters. In this episode, I'm going to share two more strategies that have majorly helped make the year end much more positively for my students and myself. Because if they are engaged, it's going to be more fun for me too. So my first recommendation is to shift as many activities as possible to be student-centered that you can. As much as you can, change up your instructional strategies to make them less about you and more about your students. The last thing you want to do when combating senioritis is to be fighting students for their attention. Because let's be real, you cannot compete with the stories of prom promposals and the recaps of spring break. Instead, just completely give up on trying to do that and put the attention and focus back on your students. If you're not sure where to begin, I want to talk to you about my four favorite no to low prep student-centered activities. So first, I love having students build models. I cannot tell you how underestimated model building is as a teaching method. If there's one thing I urge you to try after listening to this episode, it is to have your students start building models. It is such an easy, low prep activity that is entirely student-centered. I started incorporating model building into my teaching toolbox when I moved to an NGSS school because one of the science and engineering practices, which is one of the three dimensions of NGSS, is getting students to develop and use models. At first, when I thought of models, all I could picture were edible cell organelle models out of food and dioramas of biomes. So please tell me I'm not the only one who immediately thinks that. But I really quickly learned from some coworkers that model building is so much more than that. A model is simply a representation of something. If you ask your students to build a model, it could be anything that represents what you are teaching in class. Yes, it can totally be a three-dimensional traditional edible cell model, but it can be much simpler than that too. My favorite ways to have students build models with virtually no prep required on your end as a teacher are the following. I love to have them build models with chalk markers or neon expo markers on lab tables if you are blessed with lab tables. Students love writing on tables. It's so simple but it's just a hundred times more fun than them drawing with markers on paper. So investing in chalk markers or neon expo markers is a game changer. Also, I love having students build models with Play-Doh. I love giving them any sort of chance to do something tactile with their hands. And honestly, there's just something really soothing about Play-Doh. And while I love to buy it because the smell is just super nostalgic for kids and me too, There's also a really easy way you can make it yourself from home with really simple ingredients that I'll link in the show notes for you. I love to have students build models with simple supplies too that I just already have in my classroom. I don't know about you, but my cabinets in my classroom are just the most random assortment of materials from all of the things over the years that I have used or the teachers before me have used. So for example, I like to have students make models of ATP with construction paper and brads. That's really it. It's so simple and they get so much out of it. You can also have students build models with concept maps. And that brings me to my second favorite no prep student activity that's all about them and not about you. And that's having your students make concept maps themselves. A concept map is really just a model, and it can be a great one at that for students seeing the connectedness of different terms and concepts that you're covering. We had a big push one year when I was teaching the freshman academy at my school to incorporate concept maps all the time. I'm not sure if it was a district initiative or an admin's research project for their doctorate, but we were required to do all sorts of pre-tests and post-tests and record how often we were using concept maps. It was honestly kind of exhausting having to make them all the time. And I thought, why not have students start making these? It was actually incredibly effective, and it required barely any prep on my end. So here's how I did it. Make sure to do concept maps, which pre-made ones, with your students for a while first so that they actually have an idea of what a concept map is. So that's important. They need to kind of know what a concept map is. And then when you want to have them start making their own, start small. Write just five or six vocabulary terms on your whiteboard and have students work with a partner to make a concept map connecting those terms together. And I like to have students make two versions. They need to make a blank version of their concept map that they could give another classmate to complete, and they need a filled in version that serves as kind of their answer key. And then they can swap and trade and do each other's. And then as they kind of develop this skill, you can get bigger. You can start challenging students with more words to connect. You can have them create them on their own and then trade and solve their next door neighbors. And it's really such good practice for their brains. It's completely student-centered. And the only prep it really requires from you is writing a list of terms on your whiteboard for them to include. Easy peasy. All right, the third thing I want to encourage you to try is Pogles. I wish I could be sponsored by Pogles because I have loved them so much. I first discovered them and that term Pogol stands for Process Oriented Guided Inquiry Learning, which is quite a mouthful. But I first learned about them when I was teaching AP Biology for the first time and I went to AP Summer Institute and my instructor told me about them. But they saved me from lecturing for hours with my students and they helped so much with engagement when I had zero budget for lab supplies teaching that course. And not only that, I found them to be an incredibly effective tool for engaging my students in content that truly required no prep on my end. It was 100% worth it to me to spend the $60 that I invested in in order to have access to the book of pogles for AP bio and the corresponding answer keys that came with that. And I'll make sure to link in the show notes where you can find all of the different subjects that Flynn has for Pogles on their site. I really cannot tell you how many people I have convinced to start using them. I truly should be like an affiliate for Pogles. But my department chair is an example. He fell in love with the chemistry ones and he found them really effective for teaching really tricky subject and content in his chemistry class. And as with anything If you do something too much, the kids kind of lose interest. So kind of always pick and choose which you want to do. And you can switch up each year which ones you do as well. A couple of notes if you decide to try Pogles. They really have to be done in class to be effective because one, they're designed to be done in groups. And two, unfortunately, a lot of teachers have broken copyright law and illegally uploaded the answer keys online. So if this is something you want to try virtually, it's just going to lose its effectiveness because students can just look up the answers. And the whole point is them working through this process of analyzing these diagrams and using their prior knowledge and building connections with their group as they learn the information. I love watching students work through a pogel. Okay, last but not least, my other favorite no-prep student-centered activity is to play four corners or two sides with my students. So what I mean by that is, you basically kind of play this game where you're either gonna use the four corners of your classroom or the two sides of your classroom. And all you have to do on the front end is come up with any sort of claim and present it to your students. So this could be some sort of controversial question. You could ask, should screening for genetic disorders be a routine part of prenatal care in your genetics unit? Or it doesn't have to be controversial. It could just be a statement. You could say something like, Genes are on chromosomes, and your chromosomes are your DNA, and you, it could be a correct statement or an incorrect statement. The point is that you just say something, you throw something out there, and you have your students pick a side and then debate it as a class, and they have to back up their claims with evidence and reasoning. I really like to think of this type of activity as a CER, or a Claim Evidence Reasoning, in action. It gets students on their feet, they're thinking critically, and they're having to defend what they think with evidence and reasoning. So again, here's how it works. I'll walk you through an example. Come up with some sort of claim. Again, it could just be a statement or an ethical dilemma. Have students pick a side. So example, this side of the room is for this, or this side of the room is against it. Or this side of the room agrees that the statement is correct, and this side of the room thinks that the statement is incorrect. They have to discuss with their peers who are in their corner or on their side and come up with a list of evidence and reasoning and rationales to back it up. And then they share these with the class. And you can allow rebuttals to go back and forth. And then you can even create space for them to research for further support if you want to. If you find that your statement is more than this or that, then you can kind of adapt it to be more of that four corners idea. If you have my genetics unit for my biology curriculum, you are familiar with this because this is how the introduction to my concept two in creativity is designed that I include in there, where basically I include four different statements about the terms DNA and genes and chromosomes, and I have them in each corner of the classroom, and they have to go to the one that they think is the most correct. So those are four ideas just to get you started for how you could implement more student-centered activities to end the year in a way that keeps your student engaged and fights off senior-itis. But I know if you're listening, you're probably just already feeling very tired and worried that this is going to require a lot of energy on your end that you just don't have. And I totally get why you feel that way this time of year, especially. I know for me at that quarter three, quarter four transition, I'm just often dragging and I'm suffering from senioritis as much as the seniors in my AP biology class are. And I cannot imagine what it has been like for so many of you who are teaching through your third school year impacted by this pandemic. And I'm not going to even try to act like I can relate to what that feels like. But I will encourage you to go back and give episode number five a listen if you haven't already for more ideas for how to engage your students without exhausting yourself or requiring a ton of prep on your end. Okay, so that's the first tip. I know that was a long one, but it's just getting as many student-centered activities out there as possible that put the focus and energy back on your students rather than on you. And then the second tip I want to share just to quickly wrap up this episode and part two of this series is to end the year with independent research projects if you can. If you want to really take the responsibility of learning out of your hands while simultaneously engaging your students, then implementing an independent research project that both challenges their thinking and strengthens their research and writing skills is the way to go for ending your school year. Personally, I have designed long-term independent research projects for my biology, anatomy, and physical science classes that I will link in the show notes, but these could easily be adapted to be done over a shorter time frame if you're implementing over the course of a few months or a few weeks as opposed to an entire school year. I love these because students can select their own driving question that they are most interested in and they research it. And the more student choice you provide, I really feel like the better your chances are of combating senioritis. But it doesn't have to be this full, long, -long month-long, PBL-style project, though. That is not what it has to mean at all. You can do something incredibly simple to end the year with a project that, again, is student-centered and puts the focus back on them. I love doing a children's book project where I have students make a children's book on a topic we covered during the school year. And this is something I have available for free in my TBT store, so I'm gonna link in the show notes so you can see the rubric and all of that. But it's just such an easy way to end the year and they get to be creative and they just have a lot of fun with it too. I also love to let students take over review for end of year exams and finals. If you have listened to this podcast at all or read my blog, you know how much I dislike reviewing And so one of my favorite strategies is to do a teach the class project where students work in groups. They come up with the review materials for a chunk of the content covered during the school year. And it's great because I give them three to five school days to create their lessons. And then I give each group either a full class period or half of a period, depending on how long your periods are and how much time you have. And they run review that last week or two of school. And it keeps the review entirely student-centered, it keeps students engaged to the very end, and it gives you a much-needed break. Plus, my students personally love the boost that an in-class project gives their grades at the end of the year, so it really just kind of feels like everybody wins with it. Don't let senioritis take over for the last few months of the school year. This condition can be actively combated with a few strategies, like the two mentioned in today's episode and the two I shared last week in episode 12. And be sure to tune in next week for episode 14. We are going to wrap up this series. Plus, I want you to get excited because I have a special guest interview airing in two weeks with a dear friend who's a current full-time secondary science teacher who has almost exclusively taught seniors. So she is very familiar with senioritis and she has some great suggestions coming for all of us. Thanks again for listening today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. Leave a review and tell all of your teacher friends so they can listen along too. You can find all the links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes or by heading to com slash episode 13. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.